Welcome to the Regular Guys Random Things Weekly Podcast. Thanks again for listening to these regular guys talk about the most random things. So sit back and relax while they get started. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Scott. I'd like to welcome everybody today to the podcast. Dustin. Hey, guys. How's it going? John. Uh, what's up? Uh, so, um, just kidding. Scott's been fired. He's no longer our host. Sucker. <laughs> so today, uh, Scott actually had uh, some training that he had to go to, and because of time crunches on the week, we weren't able to uh, record with Scott. So I've got John here with me today. Hey. And I'm Dustin. I'll be hosting uh, this episode, trying to get by as best as I can. Uh, without Scott being here. So uh, here we go. John, what you been up to? <laughs> I've been up to... Uh, so I was telling you a while back that I was working on that room. And we, so we've been working on two things. One, fixing up a rocking chair for the berth, and then also the room. Like a, just a normal rocking chair or like it's a glider? A, it's, a wood, it's a wood rocking chair. Oh, nice. Yeah, like pretty old school. But... <clears throat> um, it was pretty rickety, and all the glue had popped, and it was noisy, and so we basically disassembled the whole thing and reassembled it with glue and screws. And um, one of the things that uh, I did was the back plate, you know, has a certain length, but I didn't know what the length was. And so instead of gluing it together on the chair properly, I glued it together by itself and uh, it lost about an inch of its height. Oh, really? So I had to chop down the chair a bit. And it's Frankenstein together, but um, it was free, so, yeah. And will Elizabeth be safe sitting in the chair rocking the new Bambino? I mean, I'll tell you this. If I touch it, it's safe, but <laughs> but uh, it certainly isn't elegant. You know, it lost its elegance. Did you paint it? No, I don't think we will. And the reason is, is she doesn't really use rocking chairs. Oh, gotcha. So I'll be surprised if she uses uh, uses this one. And if she does, then we'll paint it. We can make it nice. I mean, it's perfectly good, but I don't want to put a bunch of work into it if she ends up not using it much. My wife had a, a glider rocker that she used throughout uh, giving birth to our kids. And um, she grew quite attached to it. And we had it in like the basement for years and years and years and years, and I tried to sell it on KSL, and nobody would buy it. And then she got really sentimental and didn't want to throw it away. But last year we finally, we finally got rid of. We sold it in a yard sale, I think. Either that or we gave it the DI. But it was a hard parting for her. So your wife doesn't have that same attachment to this rocking chair. Not to, well, this one we just got, but she doesn't seem to have that attachment to rocking chairs in general. My mom used to, I mean, I remember having Lazy Boy brand uh, rocking chairs in the house for basically my whole life, uh, maybe until I was, a, a, you know, a pretty old teen. But, um, yeah, just Elizabeth just doesn't seem to like them as much. And she would argue with me on this. She would say she used one of the ones we had in the past, but I just I don't see her in rocking chairs much. Well, once your baby's probably out of that rocking chair stage, you probably won't have room to keep it in the baby's room either. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cramped in there as it is. 
and um, you know, just with the whole space situation, uh, we can't keep anything that isn't vital. Yeah, true. What else? Anything else? Destiny. You've been playing some Destiny. Well, I played with uh, Mabuti a lot this last week, and um, and I played last night. Juicy was on, but his light so low that he can't do anything with us. Yeah, he was texting me today, and he was saying that uh, he wasn't. He's kind of lost. Like he doesn't know, like. Because he, he didn't really... I don't think he played Destiny 2 through the first expansion. So he started a new character and, and uh, you know, just advanced it to the upper light level. And I think he was saying that he wasn't quite sure what to do, which was also a little confusing for me, um, not knowing that after I completed that first portion in the prison that I had to go to Spider, complete some bounties, and then new missions would be available for me. What light were you when you went to Spider, though? Um, I mean, when, did you use the upgrade token to? No, I didn't. So hey, I think he did, and but I don't think that changed his light. So he's super low light. He's seriously like three forty or something. Well, yeah. So I was I was like three fifty, three fifty ish when I started the campaign, and I'm about three ninety now. So I'm still not even four hundred. So after I finished that prison, I advanced like two levels and I'd got my light level up a little bit. Then I went to spider, started working on bounties. I got those bounties completed. My light level has since increased, plus my levels increased. But the last time I played, I was running public events because I just was trying to get my light level up. And I have new missions available and I have new things to complete, but I just feel like my light level is still too low. And so I've been trying to do things just around the map uh, you know, to get things done. So we were going to help him with Steph, but with his light level being so low, um, we kind of thought he might need to increase that before, before we join in on some strikes or join in on some campaign or whatever. Yeah. I don't think um, I can play any strikes or nightfalls or, I mean, I could probably you're not even close. I don't think I can do anything. Nightfall really. is five forty, and if you're forty below the light level, you're not even you're not even considered. You can't do damage. So if you're at, if you're at four hundred, you're you're literally a hundred below where you could do any damage. What I need to start doing is getting my level up. So I'm like a, I'm a, like level thirty seven, I think, right now. I think once I get to forty three, then I can start applying the five hundred. Do things. you have five hundred level drops? I do, but oh. I can't apply them because where they come from? Uh, just playing in the game. Huh. I've gotten five hundred level drops, but I can't apply them because I'm not to level forty three. And so I think that's kind of the grind that I need to complete now is get my character level up to to um, to forty three, and then those bigger drops that I've gotten, I can start using those, but I can't use them until I get that level up. So Mabuti and Limo and Arrow ran the Nightfall. And Mabuti and, and Arrow are in the five teens, like between 500 and, and 520. They were somewhere in there. Yeah. But mostly on the lower side. And they were able to run the Nightfall with Limo, who's like 545 or 555 or something like that. And they were able to do well enough. I mean, it took nearly an hour, but, um, but that's, I mean, that's pretty typical for a nightfall if it's difficulties way high for you. But 
and we wanted to do that kind of stuff with Juicy, but he's got to be he's got to be higher light. So for and so what we recommended to him last night was that he run public events on Earth, yeah, to get his level cap up, not his not his light, just just get his experience points. And yeah. he did that, um, I think, and I I think he was playing even after I had been booted. I was playing and and my network just dropped me. Hmm. So frustrating. But anyway, um, so yeah, so hopefully you and he can get your level up. I mean, even if you were level 50 and your light was crap, that's still something we could work with. But and I'm, I'm still having a little bit of trouble playing with that medication I'm on. I played the other night, and by the time I was done, like my head was pounding and dizzy. I'd been, no, just I just get a headache. Hmm. And then, um, I was still getting a little bit motion sickness, but it was okay because I was trying to like breathe heavy and, and take some breaks from the screen, but I didn't play very long and I probably just need to try to get on with juicy and try to run, run it a little bit. And all maybe you got to do and, and it's annoying, but all you got to do is just hit those public events over and over yeah. and over again. Just fast travel, hit a public event, fast travel, hit a public event because if you make it go heroic, you just get a, a bunch of XP. And uh, well, those spider bounties uh, actually did pretty good too. I I got a lot of uh, good drops and things too running those bounties. And I don't know if they're really necessary. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to have to collect more bounties, right? Yeah, I mean, bounties aren't going away. They reset daily or weekly depending yeah. on where you are. So, I mean, even if you got every one of them done, there there will be more. But let's say you hopped in and you did the bounties and then they're all gone. And you're like, well, crap, now what? I mean, public events are a solid way to get XP. They're one of the best ways. And then if you have a ghost or something that has an XP boost, um, that can also help your level increase. But it, you just got to grind that part. And yeah. then once you're, once you're at 500 light, once you're at level 50, you can do anything with us. I mean, it's not going to be easy. There will be stuff you can't do, but you can do most things with us yeah right on anything else you've been toying with we didn't disc golf at all last week i know i'm bummed about that and this week's uh a possible delivery week so i'm not i've not really felt like i have had the time even though i have the time but it's like i with that looming over me i yeah and i'm gone i'm actually gone today's my last day here at work i'm gonna go uh do a little deer hunting I uh, got my muzzleloader hunt coming up, and so I've been kind of prepping for that. I went and shot my gun last week and got it sighted in. And um, Where did you shoot a muzzleloader? Uh, just at the Lee K Center here in the valley. They've got a couple of rifle ranges, and they've got a 100-yard range that they let black powder shoot on. So I shot there, and uh, it was kind of funny. I haven't shot in a gun for months. And uh, when I put my muzzleloader up in the scope and I started looking through it, I noticed that this, this medication on makes me a little jittery. And so I was having a hard time just focusing the scope on the target. And so, I mean, I was still, I still had like maybe a two and a half inch group, but I was, I was, my group all pulled to the left a little bit. And so I was about two and a half inches, three inches off center. So I'm going to have to compensate for that a little bit, but. I mean, it's all still well within, you know, a five-inch circle, but um, I I was having a hard time. I really had to concentrate keeping those crosshairs on my target, so it was kind of funny. When you have a muzzle loader, like if I picture uh, 
the Patriot or some of these classic movies where they're yeah, it's not a musket. Yeah, not a musket. So describe to to folks how black powder is similar but not the same as a musket. So if you if you thought of a musket, you know, it was an old hexagon barrel wood wood stock and they'd put a patch cloth. They put they poured gunpowder out of a horn and then put a patch or a cloth patch and then a a round musket ball and then put it, you know, tamp it down inside the rod and then they would have a cap or flint or something to ignite that and that's not that's old school black powder so i shoot a a modern uh inline uh black powder rifle same thing i load powder down my barrel and then um the slug i shoot isn't a ball it's it's more bullet shape and you still tamp that down and then instead of having like a cap or a flint still i actually have a primer and so it's kind of like a cap. It's just different shape. Uh, it's kind of the same primer that they use in shotgun shells. You put that in. It's a brake breech. You shoot one shot. You don't, you know, it's not a magic reload. So then you have to pour powder down again, put another slug. So kind of the refinement of the process hasn't happened because I still got to put powder, slug, and then a cap. But the mechanics of the whole gun is a lot different. And higher quality barrel and higher quality, yeah. So my stock's probably similar, but I have a synthetic stock, but my barrel is um, rifled, so it has a spiral cut to it. Old old muskets didn't have a spiraled barrel. Yeah. Uh, obviously, my slug or my projectile is more f- aerodynamic, so it travels faster at a at a higher rate. Um, my gun is capable of shooting the newer styles of black powder. Um, and so I shoot a, a higher quality, faster burning, uh, better powder um, than old muskets did. So all of that stuff is kind of refined, but it's yeah. still the one shot sure. type, you know, one shot reload. I hear muskets were pretty inaccurate, though. I mean, the rifling really made a big deal, and yours has it. And they rifled uh, muskets, so they they actually ended up rifling a ball, but, um, you know, it was still a ball, and yeah. it, is, it doesn't have any aerodynamics, and it just falls out of the sky. But I'm still shooting fifty caliber, so that's, that's huge. I mean, yeah. it's like a, a cannon. Uh, and I shoot... I shoot a, a sabotaged bullet, which I can't really... It would take me forever to explain the details, <laughs> but my slug's actually forty-five caliber, and the sabot that goes around the slug is is fifty caliber, and so I shoot a specialized sabot, and a lot of guns shoot sabotaged bullets. So I'm actually shooting a forty-five caliber, uh, 260-grain shot, which doesn't make any sense to anybody, but... <laughs> It's it's all modernized. It's just uh, why did you why did you get into black powder and not just like a thirty out six or a or a uh, AR fifteen or something like that? So AR fifteen is really not made for hunting. It doesn't. I hear ha- a lot of people using for hunting. It, well, not for deer hunting, big game oh, hunting. Okay. So it's fast. Uh, it's got a high velocity, but the slug isn't big. Yeah, and it's so small. it's made to just shrapnel and cause damage, but it's not really a lethal shot. So that's what you're looking for. So you want to hit it like a brick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have rifle hunted in the past with the 30 out six. I actually have uh, two 30 out six uh, that I shoot. Um, the problem is, is there's a lot of people. 
and I don't like I don't like walking all over people or people uh, walking all over me. Black powder limits the number of of fellow hunters. So then I switched to archery. The problem is, is I've got a jacked up shoulder and yeah. I can't shoot archery. So that takes away the people. You get archery hunt less people. Um, the archery hunts also at a bad time of year for me for the opener. And so it kind of just didn't work out. And then once my shoulder got hurt, um, I can't pull my bow back anymore. So I'm pretty much done with that. Did you hurt your shoulder from end of the day exercise? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, so then I switched over to black powder and I get the, the convenience of not as many hunters the season works out great because it's right now in the end of September. So that means I don't, I don't get in the middle of UEA vacation. I don't get in the middle of, uh, our snowbird vacation. So it kind of falls at a good time and it's not nearly as cold either as it could be. Right. I would rather it be more cold. Oh, so I like hunting when it's cold and you're usually do better when it's cold. Um, so right now it's starting to cool down, which isn't a bad thing. Um, the problem with this hunt that drives me crazy, it starts on a Wednesday and ends on a Wednesday. Every other hunt that they have starts on a Saturday and ends on a Saturday. I don't know why they do this start on a Wednesday. So that's a little bit tough because I've got to take some time off of work to go and we have stuff that the kids do during the middle of the week and it makes it kind of rough. So if I want to hunt, I got to take two, I got to take days off during the week rather than go on a weekend and go on a weekend, which is, I wish they would change, but. Oh, so you wouldn't changed. even go during the week at all. You would go for a couple of days and you come back for the week and you go a couple of days. I might do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the next Friday, Saturday. Uh. Um, but with this Wednesday hunt, like I'm leaving tomorrow. So I'll do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, possibly Saturday. Um, but I'm coming back and then I can't take another three days off work to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So really it kind of limits me to one, one weekend, but one shot. I, so here's the thing is I say one shot and then you have to reload and it takes about 30 seconds to reload, maybe a little bit less. I have gotten off more than one shot. Uh, Two years ago, I shot a deer and I was laying down on this really rocky, gravelly kind of hill. And um, I had pulled up to shoot and I I was holding above the ground and I had kind of slid and hurt my elbow and I dropped and I shot into the ground. I rolled over, reloaded and shot and then was able to connect with the deer. But, um, you know, I, I guess some guys don't get two shots. I was lucky enough to get two shots and I can, I can reload pretty fast for a second shot. Um, you almost shot your eye out. <laughs> yeah. I will shoot my eye out. Um, I didn't mean two shots that way. I meant two opportunities. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you only have one opportunity with the whole Wednesday to Wednesday thing. Yeah. I don't, I, I would like to think I would get out and maybe I'll get out next week in the evening. Um, my hunting area is pretty close, so I could possibly get out in the evening, maybe, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday evening. If I, I the hunt actually ends on Thursday, but what do you do when you're just sitting there? Do you listen to an audiobook? No, because I want to be able to hear what's going around. Do you pick your nose? Um, no, that's kind of your thing. Do you break out a book? No. Do you pray? No, I usually just scope the mountainside with a pair of binoculars. Like for chicks? No, for deer. Hmm. 
See, this is why I can't take you hunting. You've asked me to take you hunting. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're telling me there's like nothing to do? <laughs> well, I mean, you're looking for deer and you're hunting and hiking around and really you're you kind shoot, of just peaceful. Do you ever shoot other things like birds or anything? No. Would you get in trouble if you did? Um, I guess if you're shooting a game animal that's out of season, possibly. Hmm. But why would I want to shoot at anything? Cause then the deer that I'm hunting will run. So, okay. What determines when a deer will run? Cause when you almost shot your eye out, the deer didn't run or did it and you chased it down or how did that work? No, it didn't run. It actually just stood still. Um, I mean, deer are intelligent, but they're not in super intelligent, you know, like, I mean, let's face it. Deer, like a couple of things, eating, drinking water and getting it on reproductive reproducing. And so that's really kind of what they're always thinking about in the summertime or this time of year, it's not during the rut. So they're not really worried about reproduction. They're just more worried about eating. And so until something disrupts them to the point or scares them, they usually just hang out. So you can sit and watch deer for hours and they'll never even know you're there. Um, but when you disrupt what's going on around them, um, you know, sometimes a gunshot will disrupt them or it won't like they, they don't know where it's coming from. And so they stop and listen and look and that's kind of what happens. Hmm. So you're telling me that, uh, men aren't the only thing with one track minds. Nope. Yeah. So chick deer have one track minds too, huh? Staying away from another male deer and eating. That's all they want to do <laughs> until the time is, until the mood is right. <laughs> so the mood. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I do want to hunt. I, I just tease you about all that crap, but uh, I am aware it's pretty like nature-y, hikey, and some people like to hike with headphones. I don't. I always hike uh, naked. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't hike with headphones on either. And I love being in the outdoors, like... um there's nothing better than sitting at the very top of a mountain, like for a sunrise. Oh yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not the kind of guy that just runs out and shoots the first thing that runs in front of me and blasts everything. You know, I, I'm selective, uh, in what I hunt and I'm selective in what I will harvest. Um, I didn't take a deer last year because I didn't feel like anything that, um, was, Takeable was, was good was what I what I wanted. I'd rather see one of those little deer grow up to be a bigger deer. So I'm kind of selective, and I may or may not get a deer this year. And if um, you do, you're right. gonna smoke it. Um, I was thinking about just having it made into the steaks and roasts, and then having everything else jerkied. Um, nobody in my family really likes the ground beef, but um, I might smoke some some roasts or some steaks or something. I don't know. I'll have to see. Maybe smoke some of my own jerky. Will you share? I will share. Yeah. So uh, other than that, this last week, I didn't Frisbee golf. Did I talk about the rack I made for my bag for Frisbee golf last time? I think so. So I mean, you could talk about it again if you want. I worked on that a little bit and I got my golf bag, I think, to where I want to be. So I really thought I was going to do some disc golf end of last week, and we didn't. I thought I was going to do some maybe yesterday or today, but I don't think I'm going to have time. And my kids are all in nutcracker mode, and my two oldest daughters are already asking kids to Sadie's, and so they've they've been working on that. And 
my youngest daughter actually had her 10th birthday this weekend. So we had a birthday party for her and, um, had a barbecue in the backyard, invited the family over. It was pretty fun and took her birthday shopping and got her some stuff. But other than that, it's just been a pretty chill week. Mm. Not doing a whole lot. So I did help Scott with his, the final piece of his ugly drum smoker. Which was the cap, or wasn't it? Yeah, he got his lid all finished, got it all uh, ground down, got it all burnt, so he was ready to smoke. And I won't steal his thunder, but he did uh, smoke something on Saturday. He didn't share? Uh, he brought some yesterday. He came in and talked to me, and he said, oh, I brought some. I want you to try it. But then he never brought it over for me to try it. So I'm assuming it was good enough that he just ate the whole uh. thing, <laughs> and he didn't really need my critique, but... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. Well, I'll, I'll leave that for Scott, but, um, it was exciting to know that he got it done and, uh, he run into a few snags, but I think he figured out a way to overcome them. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes with that. So how would you compare your ugly drum to your larger one? Uh, so I haven't ever used the ugly drum and I stalled on making mine to wait to see what happened with Scott's. Um, my smoker, you know, is obviously made out of a propane tank or a, sorry, a, a big compressor tank. And then I have a firebox on the side that smoke gets drug across the bottom of the tank in a chamber. It's called a reverse flow. And then the smoke travels back across the cook chamber and then out a chimney on the same side as the firebox. Uh, my smoker takes a lot of babysitting. So I've always got a tend to fire. With the ugly drum smoker, you don't really build a fire out of wood. The The concept is is to get charcoal to heat your chamber. So put enough charcoal in and get the charcoal burning to heat the chamber and then introduce smoke by burning chunks of wood throughout the process. So really with, with the ugly drum smoker, Scott should never have to tend a fire. He, he prepares a basket by putting charcoal in and then putting chunks of wood throughout the, the, the basket. And then he'll dump hot coals right down the middle of the basket and it'll slowly burn to the bottom. And he should be able to get, uh, without stealing Scott's thunder again, he, he burnt for like five hours and hardly used any charcoal. Um, so he should be able to get a long cook of like, 12 hours without having to babysit a smoker very much. So uh, wouldn't the barbecue purists say that they don't want the charcoal that's uh, got the fire accelerant helper, whatever they call it, because of the chemicals getting the food and crap? So, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that. So you need to use like a blue bag uh, charcoal something that doesn't have anything it's just straight charcoal right well it's prepared and supposedly they dampen it and then they crush it into a a preformed and that's that's supposedly not have any uh doesn't have any chemicals to to hold to uh, as a binding agent but on the other hand they say that um you don't know exactly what kind of wood is in there so then one step up from that the next set of people use lump charcoal which is chunks of wood that have been baked basically to to char in a non-oxygenated oxygen (laughs) come on you can't say a room deprived of oxygen oxygenated oxygenated yes i guess 
and you you bake it until it turns into charcoal and then that's supposed to be more pure and then the third part of that is so even me i start a fire with charcoal and then i start putting wood on top once my charcoal burns down unless i need to bring temperature up i don't add any more charcoal i just keep adding wood and so that's kind of i guess the purest version of it but if I'm going to do a 12 hour smoke or an 18 hour brisket, then that means I have to babysit it every hour for 18 hours. And that's tough. And so, um, doing some ribs or a pork butt's not too bad, but I end up usually sometimes after, I mean, your meat can only get so much smoke in it and then you're just basically baking it inside your smoker. So a lot of times after three or four hours, I'll take it out and then just finish it and I'll wrap it. A lot of people wrap their stuff in butcher paper or foil. Once you wrap it, you're no longer introducing smoke. So why don't you just take it in the house and put it in the oven and then not have to worry about it. So I, I have finished quite a few things in the oven because I can just set my oven at 250 and be done with it and let it cook for another six hours or something. Hmm. And that's what Scott did too with his... He smoked co- it and then finished it in the oven? He smoked, I think, for four or five hours and then he finished it in the oven. Hmm. So Interesting. And it still tastes the same. You know, I've, I've smoked things for eight or so hours and it's still Do you the think same. that uh, some of the barbecue joints in the valley are, are doing the same thing? Uh, yeah, I know they are. Oh. So um, like R&R Barbecue, if you ever notice, they, they smoke their meat in that old hickory and they also have a smoker out back where they smoke stuff. But after they've wrapped it, and even their brisket, they wrap it, they bring it in and they put it in a, a heating oven. And so they're just cooking it. Um, and that's why when you go to R&R, when they first open at 11 and you eat ribs, let's just say ribs, they don't really f- fall off the bone. They have to be pulled from the bone, which is how they, I like them. Because they didn't rest? No, just because they're not quite done yet. They've oh. pulled them off at a time. So, I mean, it's still tender. It's it's eatable. But, like, if you pull the – you can't just pull the bone out of the meat. Like, you got to pull the meat off of the bone, which – is okay. That's how I like it. I would rather be able to hold the bone and pull the meat off. If you go there at seven o'clock at night, their ribs just disintegrate off of the bone. Wow. And that's what some people like. I would rather hold the bone and be able to pull the meat off rather Hmm. than just have it kind of fall on my plate when I pick up the bone. But I don't know. Hmm. So I I haven't decided if I'm going to use the ugly jump smoker or not. I'm still waiting to see what happens with Scott. But if I ended up not going with the Ugly Drum Smoker, I may have a project for one of our other co-hosts. If he really wants to get into smoking something. Oh, interesting. I have all the parts. I wonder who you're talking about. Uh, Vaughn Jillianson or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's funny. Um, What about... uh, your electric scooter. Uh, I'm kind of at a standstill on that. I couldn't really get the ESC to work. Are you sure that's what it is now? Um, I don't. Darn. I don't know the wiring diagram of the ESC, and since it's a cheap Chinese ESC, I'm not sure. So uh, I need to get a new ESC. But in the meantime, I started working on my drift track. Um, I got my whole rear end all torn apart. Um, I've got all the bearings off the axle. I got everything started to get cleaned up. So I'm to the point where I need to just build a frame and then start putting it all together. So I have all of the parts that I need uh, to build it. I just need to start assembling the frame. 
I picked up a couple of pieces of steel the other day from SNS steel or triple S steel out of the scrap bin to build the frame. Um, I just need to cut them and then weld them, uh, build a mounting plate for the motor and then mount the axle. So as soon as I have some time, uh, I'm thinking I probably have about three or four hours worth of fabrication and then probably about another two, three hours of assembly. Um, and then I think it'd be ready to ride. You get insurance for that for when you, uh, drift into a tree. Yeah, exactly. Yep. No, you wear a, you wear <laughs> no, a helmet. I, I, I plan on wearing a helmet. Yes, but I, I won't have insurance. So I watched a drift trike video on YouTube and the guy would like spin out and you know, there are some great outtakes. I almost think it might be more fun just to ride it around like a go-kart and not have the drift tires on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to do there yet. And you sit like fully recumbent, right? Yeah. So you have pegs on the front wheel that you can put your rest your feet on? Yeah. So the plan right now is to put pegs on the front wheel. I have a set of pegs uh, to go on. And then I have uh, a tractor seat to sit on. That and life. then the motor will be right behind me. Uh, the you pl- smell like lawnmower when you're done? Mm, I hope not, because the exhaust should be blowing behind me, away from me. Bet you you will. Nah. That crap is so messy. It stinks so bad. Then the plan is to use the pegs on the front wheel, but I may put pegs. I may actually build some footrests off of it. I'll just have to see. Why? I mean, go ahead and keep going, and that's cool. But uh, how hard would it be, and why not convert to electric? Uh, so I guess the option for electric is to put an electric hub on the front wheel, uh-huh. which back. technically stops it from being a drift trike. It becomes more of a slide trike because on a drift trike, you want those back wheels to be spinning to kind of give you that. If you put a motor on the front hub, then it kind of becomes a slide trike. And so the one I watched pulling. is a slide trike. Now, yeah. that, now that you describe it that way, it was a slide trike. Uh, that seems like a lot of fun too, but there's an electric craze happening right now. And so electric parts are like scarce. Well, they're just expensive. So that front hub is kind of expensive to buy. You're looking at probably like $200 for the front hub. And how much could you have got that for two years ago? Um, probably it might actually have been more because it may have been less readily available, Hmm. but, um, I don't know. It, 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 it seems a little bit expensive. My initial plan was to build an electric. So I have a wheelchair motor that I have, uh, I could have put on the back. I could have gotten an ESC and built a battery pack. Uh, so I guess that's where the biggest cost is right now is batteries. You used to be able to get those 18650 batteries for really cheap and now they're in higher demand. And so the price has gone up on them. So you know, maybe 200 bucks for the hub and stuff like that, but you're still looking you know, quite a bit for a battery for the battery, probably more than that. If you really want any ride time, you're probably looking at maybe a hundred to 300 on battery, just depending. And that's depending if you can get used cells or new cells, just depends. Do you think it'd be cool or fun or have you thought about setting up a power wall for your house? Yeah. Um, not, not Tesla branded, but, but the same idea. Yeah, so um, my thought on that would actually be solar off-grid with lead-acid batteries. Why? Because they're less expensive? Because lead-acid batteries are a lot cheaper. 
They do take up a lot more space, and they're, they're freaking heavy. They're not as efficient, but um, they're also a lot less work to to build the to build the wall. Oh, really? Because you don't have to build, build the wall. Build the wall. You don't have to build cells. You know, you can just put batteries in series to make forty-eight volt series rather than. You know, I mean, that's just a couple why, of wires. Why? Is that because lead acid's already 48 volt? Is that no, they're 12 volts, but they're a lot easier. You just bolt wires together until you got four batteries in a oh, in a series. Because they're bigger. Yeah. So on an 18650 battery, you get 3.7 volts per cell. Yeah. So it takes four cells to make one 12 volt battery. So then it takes 24 batteries to make 48 volt. Yeah. And... You're only looking at, uh, you know, three point two amp hours versus if you run like a twelve volt lead acid battery, you can get a hundred amp hours, you know, in those four batteries. So, so, so if you did that, I mean, would you have to straight up build a metal enclosure because it's so freaking heavy? Yeah, because you'd have with to the eighteen six fifties, you could mount to the wall, and, and if you hit the studs, you're you're probably fine off off the floor. But to get those lead acids off the floor, I suspect you're going to have to build some kind of metal framework. Yeah, you're going to have to build metal shelves. And honestly, by the time you put that many eighteen six fifties together, you might shoot anyway. You're probably heavy anyways, and so mm-hmm. you know it's all relative to however many eighteen six fifty batteries you have to put together to build a cell. It's still going to weigh a lot. How many battery lead acid or 18650s do you think that you would need to fully uh, run your house for a week with no inputs? With no input? With no inputs. Oh, I, you couldn't even have enough batteries for a you week. You couldn't? No. So I have Why? a... Why? F- How do you run that, that sucks so much power? Fridge? You have everything that sucks power. But like that much power? Well, so let's say you want to take exactly what you have now uh-huh. and put yourself off grid with no solar input. Is that what you're talking uh-huh. about? No inputs. No grid, no solar. I don't think you'd have enough. Hmm. I have a friend that has built a solar grid and he's got six panels and he's got 20 lead acid batteries and he can power his house um, with nothing on just the bare minimum to keep things going, uh, like his fridge and um, his furnace and things like that, he can run for about a day that way. Um, well, a day and a half without without any solar. Um, but if if he has solar, he can go and run that same configuration, like nobody home type configuration, just the the bare necessities on the house. He can run for about three days before he starts taking a hit wow but i want to do that yeah it's it's a cool idea um and i thought about what you said about my water and i've got a spot in the garage for it oh for your water tank yeah there's a lot of guys who are building it's gonna get hot in there and then cold in there and hot in there and cold in there so here's the thing is in an emergency your water may taste like a funny it's not it's stored water it's not going to taste fresh out of the tap majestic you know and you're not going to have ice or anything to keep your water cool but at least you'll have something to drink yeah so and i do have some of those ceramic filters and stuff so if i had to i could um 
I could filter it again, you know, but it's probably pretty clean. I've tasted water that I've had stored for a year and it's really not that bad. I mean, it's definitely not fresh tap water, but it's not, it's not as bad as you would think it would be bad. Hmm. And at that point, who cares if you're really worried about how it's going to taste by drink mix packets, by Gatorade packets that you can restore electrolytes with, and then you could mix it in. Yeah, that's true. But you're doing better than I am. You have a 250-gallon tank, and I have about 60 gallons, I think. Well, I do have two water heaters, too. Plus my water heater, and yeah, I I need to work on my water storage. Water storage is a big deal. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that if those tanks can't be filled at the city, then you're not going to get it. And like the city of West Jordan, I don't know if I said this before I told you, but... You've told me, but you haven't said it on the podcast. The city of West Jordan, where we live, has eight water tanks available for culinary water. And those tanks get uh, emptied and filled twice a day. So they, at any point in time, they have a half a day's worth of water on hand. So if they can't fill the tanks, then how are, how are we going to drink? You know, then, then no one has water in a half of a day. Yeah. Half true. of a day. That's crazy. Yeah. So if it's mellow, let it, or if it's yellow, let <laughs> it mellow. mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Well, the other part is if, uh, if you don't have water, you probably don't have sewer either. And so there's a possibility that you're going to back up or. Well, okay. I've thought about that, but right now the way that sewer works well, it could back up. You're right, because the sewer should be flowing, right? Well, there's some so degree, some degree of it. In any sewer, they have lift stations that bring it up in elevation because not everything is downhill, right? So uh, they have lift stations that bring it up, and if they can't power the lift stations, then where's that sewage going to go? It's going to be backed up. What do you do for work? I lift poop. <laughs> I run the machine that's a lift a lifter. I'm a poop lifter. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm yeah. happy for you. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have that job. Yeah, so um, well, how many horsepower is your drift trikes uh, motor? And can you can you really rip some rubber on it? Or is this just delusions of grandeur? No, it's... Uh, so I'm running... I'm going to run a motor on it that pretty much everybody else runs on mini bikes and go-karts. It's a, it's a Harbor Freight Special. It's a Honda clone. It's 212 cc's, which I think is about... I could be wrong. It's somewhere between seven and nine horsepower. So it's a pretty decent motor. Um, and it should have some get up and go. And since it's a Honda clone, there's a million aftermarket parts that you can put on there to upgrade it and make it better and faster. And when you say a Honda clone, basically you're talking about a motor that Honda has lost the copyright to due to it aging out. And they, and then they basically literally plagiarize the sucker. Well, I just don't know how much they can actually copyright because because it's so old well no i don't even think it's because it's so old i just don't think a combustible engine's not really i mean it doesn't have vtec it's not like the honda it's not like the honda parts will fit on this motor Mm -hmm. it's it's been modeled and built after what honda has done and that happens on all of that stuff like that like you know they're they're knockoffs or, or similar type motors but it's a combustible engine in the end, and so I don't know really how much they can. So you got six horsepower, and that's going to squeal the tires with your big ace on there? Yeah, and mm. it's actually, I, I can't remember how many cc's. You're that a tall dude. Is. 
I am, but that's also a lot of horsepower. Six? No, it's like between seven and nine. But your horsepower to weight ratio is pretty high, huh? Well, I have some gear. So I have some gearing going on there, too. So, yeah. To and then, give it a little extra spin? Yeah. So I run a really small sprocket on the motor and a really big sprocket on the axle um, that will help with whatever horsepower I need. Uh, but I'll look it up and see how many horsepower the Predator... I don't understand gearing either. That's another thing. So you seem to get gearing and you seem to get electrical, both of which elude me. But, you know, transfer cases and transfer of power and not ripping your your gear teeth off or blowing your crank or whatever, all these things are... That's what she said. That is what she said. But um, these are all equations that I don't really know or, or get. I understand they're there. I understand they're important, but I don't know the ins and outs of them. Well, just think of it as like a bicycle, your mountain bike. When you run your three gear set in the front, right, on your front derailleur, you have the biggest gear to the smallest gear. So Mm -hmm. if you run the smallest gear in the back and the biggest gear, or sorry, the smallest gear in the front and the biggest gear in the back, then you have to work less on on your pedals, but you don't go as far because it takes you three or four revolutions to turn your back wheel one revolution, right? So it's easier for you when you go to a bigger sprocket in the front, uh, say, you know, it takes you a quarter of a revolution to a small sprocket in the back. It takes, you know, one tenth of a revolution to spin the back one, but it's harder on your pedal. So just blew my mind because I actually think I understood you. Yeah. So that makes sense. Right. So it's the same thing on a go-kart engine. If I put the small sprocket at the motor, it spins 50 times to one spin on the on the axle. So the motor has to work less because it has a smaller diameter to spin. So you're going to have a lot lower top speed, but it doesn't matter because you're going to rip the, the rubber right off the tires. Or do you use a plastic? Do you use a plastic? It's got a, PV, a PVC slide on... Um, on rubber? Yeah, on the on the back. Yeah. That's how they did the slide trek too. They they put some PVC over a tire. And that's exactly what I have set up is I have a PC PVC sleeve over top of the rubber. My thought is though, so I use a centrifugal clutch and basically what happens is the faster that clutch spins, the more grip that the clutch gets. When it's not spinning fast and it has no grip on the gears. They they sell another type of clutch that's called a torque converter, and it's based on like a snowmobile. And so, as you spin faster, it squeezes a rubber belt, and then that rubber belt has more traction. And so, it's a two stage. So, not only when you spin the motor faster does it squeeze that bolt, but when it starts picking up speed in the back, the back gear spins and squeezes that motor. So you get at lower RPMs, you get a lot of slip. But as you pick up RPMs and both wheels start spinning faster, you get more torque. And so if I end up going to a torque converter. How much is that? Uh, probably between 50 and $100, depending on what grade and what quality. That motor is about seven horsepower. So on a, on a torque converter, if I did a couple of things to give it a little more oomph, I think I could spin rubber tires easily. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you but, wouldn't even have to worry about the PVC. 
Yeah, but I I would still run PVC because the PVC will last longer than burning rubber. <laughs> That's true, and it's cheaper to replace. What do you do though? You just deflate your tire and then put the thing on, then inflate your tire. Is that the yeah? Idea? That's exactly yeah, exactly how it works. That makes sense. And uh, I don't know. I'm excited for that. I need to still work on it, but that'll give me something to do here when in the fall. I just need to need to start working on it a little bit more. I've kind of been collecting a few parts here and a few parts there when I can find like find something on KSL for dirt cheap or find something on eBay for dirt cheap. And that's kind of what happened is um, I just kind of surfed on KSL and found some really cheap parts. And unfortunately, when you buy cheap parts or you buy used parts like that, then you may have to do a little work. And so I got the axle and tires um, really super cheap, like not even close to what you would pay for them brand new, but they were all rusty. And so it took me some time to get all the rust off and get everything free, get the bearings off and get the gears off. And so it took me some time and now I'm ready to assemble the motor that I have. Um, it, I know it runs, but it needs some work. It needs some mechanical work on the carburetor. And so it's one of those things again if i if i had all the money in the world i could go buy a brand new motor for pretty cheap like 140 bucks but i'm not made of gold and so i've got kids mouths to feed and so i've got this old crappy motor that needs to be worked on and and it'll be good it's just it takes time to to get stuff working so i don't know do you have any projects like that you're working on or you want to work on i have so many projects i want to work on it's money limits me all the time all the time. That electric scooter thing, though. If I did that, I'd just buy one. So you think you just want to buy an electric scooter? Specifically because of the small form factor. If we could build one that was the size of the bird scooter, that would be different. But all the ones that we're looking to build are all bike size. I don't want to deal with that on tracks. Yeah, so I'm building the the one that I plan on building uh, as... So I traded that scooter for, or it's actually a folding electric bike. I traded it to my cousin for an old car stereo that I had kicking around. He's like, he's like the world's barter trade kind of guru, you know? And so he had gotten this bike by trading something and he thought it would be cool. And then he played with it a little bit and then he decided he was done with it. And I just happened to ask about it and he's like, you got something cool to trade for it? And so I was like, well, I don't really have a bunch of stuff to trade. So I started kind of just looking around my house and oh, I got this circular saw. I got these tools. I got this. I got that. And he's like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want that. And I happen to have this car stereo that I had bought for my, uh, my last car. And then the car died like six months after I bought the car stereo. And I had it sitting around and I, I had always had thought about putting it in my van or putting it in my, in my Explorer. But then I would lose the steering wheel controls, and so I never did. And so that's I kind just, of a big deal. <laughs> I just saw it in a box, and I was like, "Maybe he'll want this." So I I didn't even think you would want it. So I texted him, and he was like really interested in it. And he's like, "Hey, what, what's that? Tell me about that." And so I told him, and he said, well, "Let's trade." So I had this stereo sitting around, and it was a good stereo. I mean, it was new, you know, newer. Um, but I just I had only used it for a little bit. And so we traded, and when I traded him for it, he's like, yeah, I'm going to put this in this truck he's building, but he's like, it'll probably just sit on the shelf for a couple of years before I get around to it. So 
he might not ever use it or he might trade it to something else, but he's, he's a fun guy. Um, and he's always got a really cool project going. He's, his projects are on a larger scale than me. He builds rat rods and, uh, restores old trucks and stuff like that. And does scooters and he's kind of, we kind of have the same mentality. I'm just a wannabe of what he does. So, well, it's not cheap. No. And, and even if you do it on the cheap, it's still not cheap. So cheaper. The, cheap. the stuff he does though, he usually funds by bartering, bartering or trading or building something and then selling for a high price and then using that money to build something else. The only thing that I think that he has kept, he built this 49 Ford and uh, he was in a really bad accident uh, at work uh, a while ago, and he spent a lot of time working on that 49 Ford with his dad, and he, he was kind of like a... Sentimental? Well, more of like a recovery tool, I think, for him, mm-hmm. plus sentimental. So it was, you know, kind of like a big accomplishment, and I don't think he told me he would never get rid of it. And so that's the only thing, but he's built a rat rod, and he built a like a rat rod truck, and... He sold both of those, and right now he's working on um, it's either late 40s or early 50s, like Ford pickup that he's working on. And he does some cool stuff, and he's always got something he's tinkering with too. And he's a bargain shopper; he looks in yard sales and lucky for you though, he's not into folding bikes anymore, huh? <laughs> yeah, lucky for me. And uh, he never got it working either, and so... Is that because the ESC is bad, or what do you think is bad? No, I just... I think the biggest thing is just the wiring diagram. We're kind of guessing on what the wiring is. And so he had bought ESC, and he gave me the wiring diagram, but when I started looking at it, I noticed that the wiring diagram I don't think was correct. And so I took the ESC apart, and I know that the wiring diagram is not correct, but there's some things I'm not quite sure what they're supposed to be for because it's a Chinese knockoff and it's not really labeled very well. And so um, they're pretty cheap. It's only like a you know, $30 part. And I've actually found them on eBay and cheaper for like 15 bucks. And so eventually I'll revisit it and buy, buy something I, I think will work. And then maybe instead of using all of the parts that are on the bike, maybe get a new throttle and a, a new ESC and and stuff. And then I'll chop that bike up the front and the back, use the back and the front as a new scooter platform, build that, and then see what happens. Build a battery pack for it. Figure something out. I don't know. Might just be putting a lead-acid battery on it for now. Two. That's so heavy. Uh, yeah. Eventually, I'll build a battery for it. But I was talking to somebody I, I know that builds bikes and um, used to build rims for professional cyclists and stuff. He's really into the sport a lot. And he said that a lot of his buddies um, don't factor in the weight of electrifying your bicycle. Oh, and, yeah. and the aluminum frames really, really do have weight maximums and... Um, very few people have steel frame bikes. They're mostly in aluminum these days. And so um, if you're not really aware, then you may just snap your frame or shred your rim or whatever um, and and find yourself in a, in a worse spot. So probably what I'll do, which will take me a little bit of time, is try to find uh, a reclaimed battery, something that has 18650s. A lot of that comes from laptop batteries. And I have quite a few 18650s already that I've salvaged from a couple of laptop packs 
but it's just a matter of collecting that and finding a reasonable price where you can get decent packs for cheap. So it's all just time and it's a lot of hunting. If you don't have the money to go out and buy buy stuff, then you got to really just hunt around for stuff on the cheap. For me, and you asked about my projects, for me, I have a lot of home projects. I don't really have like hobby projects because I can't, I can't afford it. So, um, usually home projects we try to afford because we need it, you know, but, uh, I, I, I really enjoy a lot of things. I would love to know how to weld. I would love to know how to weld. I'd love to know how to fabricate. I'd love to have a 3d printer. Um, I think engineering is a blast, but I just, I can't afford all of those things. So if you wanted to weld something though, it's actually pretty cheap. So I buy, when I buy steel, I usually go to a remnants, some, a store that sells remnants and then you can buy steel for 55 cents a pound or 50 cents a pound. So the steel that I have bought for my drift strike frame, um, I think I'm into both sticks about $6.00. Um, so I have enough still to, to build the frame. That's $6. I bought the frame for the bicycle about uh, two, three years ago, two years ago maybe. And I paid 10 bucks for it at the DI. So you can see I've collected there. Probably all of the other parts that I have combined for the drift hike, I'm into them less than $60. So, and that's just, you just got to hunt around. You just, you know, it, it, and it's taking me, it's taken me a long time. And even still, if I build the frame, build the axle, put the motor on, get the motor running, I still need parts. Like I don't have any throttle, throttle cable. So I'll probably end up at a, like a, an a motorcycle salvage yard trying to yeah. get, get something. You and do a reach around until then. No, I will not be doing any of that. But, you know, I still need parts. And so, you know, it's going to be a while until I... It, luckily, the parts that I have left are little teeny parts, and so it shouldn't be too bad. If I had infinite money, I would have so much fun not playing but working. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, if I had all the money in the world, I would just sit on the beach. I'd be so bored if i had all the money in the world i would be building the coolest things but but look at like this ugly drum smoker for example scott and i started a year ago with the ugly drum smoker right Mm -hmm. so we found a guy on ksl that sold his barrels for 15 dollars a piece so we but that was the first thing we bought was barrels was his name eisenberg (laughs) no so we bought barrels and then uh, we took a couple of lunches out to the NPS and we bought uh, we bought some piping over, I don't know, four or five months. We, we found enough fittings to get what we wanted. We bought a sheet. Actually, we got a free sheet of steel for the basket. Um, and then we bought... Um, we bought the fittings for the intake and the out or the chimney, and we spent like I think a total all of the fittings we bought 
prior to him finishing a smoker. I think all of the fittings we bought were $6. So $15 for the drum, $6 for the pipe fittings. Uh, we got the sheet of expanded metal for the basket for free. Um, I happened to know somebody who had a piece. I offered to buy it. And he's like, just get get it, take it, get rid of it. There was enough there for us to build a basket. I happened to have a couple of wire racks that I had salvaged from a barbecue that we used for the bottom. Uh, so really at that point we were into the smoker, maybe 20, 25 bucks over a year when he finally got to the point where we were ready to buy stuff. He found two barbecue grates on sale at target. They were 10 bucks. So now he's up to 35 bucks. Then he bought probably $30 worth of pipe fittings, which we didn't buy on the cheap. We could have got those on the cheap, but he was just ready to buy. And so he bought, he bought Thirty dollars worth of pipe fittings. How are you going to get? Stuff. How are you going to get black pipe on the cheap, especially threaded and and the fittings so and all that crap. We actually convert. So we bought all of that black pipe on the cheap from NPS for six bucks. Then we converted the last portion of it to PVC, and we bought a he bought a ten foot stick of black PVC for three bucks. The valve is where it cost him the money. Mm. We could have got that valve probably cheaper, but he spent fifteen bucks on the valve. That was the most expensive part of his pipe fittings. Um, and then we used some cheap steel. I, I, that steel I had bought out of a scrap bin over time, and it was probably 55 cents worth of scrap steel. Um, and then he bought probably $15 worth of, of bolts. So in this whole process, he's probably into the smoker, I would say between 75 and $100 or less. But he just had to do it over a year, so it took it took some time. But on the cheap, I mean, that's that's way cheap, you know. And he's yeah. ready to smoke, so yeah. Some projects you can do cheap. I mean, some of them are cheap. Some yeah. of them just aren't. And I I want to do a lot of things around the house. Um, I want to do some serious landscaping. I want to do some serious gardening, and you know, a lot of these systems are kind of bleeding edge agriculture stuff for the for the home so they're not cheap and you can't just find them um one of them that i found really interesting is called the hide i think it's a oh it's the aqua jet it's like a hydroponic system or no uh, i don't i don't like hydroponics i i try to i tried to let the plant do it the way god did it you know your weed just wasn't strong enough when you used hydroponics. Oh, that's different. If I was growing weed, I would use hydroponics <laughs> because ultimately the nutrition of it doesn't super matter um, as long as your THC is there. But like if, but if I was going to grow a vegetable, I'd want you know worm poop present and bacteria and all these other things that yeah. you just don't get with the hydroponics. But that's fine. Anyway, um, so it looks like a teardrop. And the guy is trying to get it patented, and um, you bury it four inches under the under the garden surface. And if it's in like a grow box, you probably want to make sure it doesn't sink. But if it's in the earth, I highly doubt that it's going to all of a sudden droop on you. But it could, I guess. Um, anyway, and then it shoots uh, jets of water out. Out the side? Uh, out the side, uh, at the bottom of the tear. Well, if you look at a teardrop, usually the heavy side's the bottom, right? Yeah. The, the, so the opposite of that is how this works. So, the so it's like an inverted teardrop? Yeah, and then it sprays out the side. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's still made out of PVC and everything. But the way that system works is it aerates your soil, 
because of the um, jet of water. And um, it also waters underground, so it's subterranean watering, so it's more efficient. You don't need nearly as much water. And it causes your roots to grow deeper and be stronger and the, grab the, the nutrients. The roots down. like it because um, the soil's kind of, you know, airy, and and uh, and air is a big part of roots, which is crazy because they're underground. You're like, how the crap did they get air? But um, so, yeah, anyway, um, that system, you, you can't get it. He has it and he's the only one and and so there's just little things like that where or i could fabricate i want to make stuff let's build it let's build it out of metal i mean you don't want to build that out of metal i don't mean when i say you don't want it to last long i mean but we could build it out of metal on the cheap you think we could yeah you could buy scrap sheet metal for cheap would it rust though well, if you painted the inside and the outside, it probably wouldn't be too bad. So the system is like three-eighths PVC, teardropped. That'd be pretty hard to do, fabricating. You'll have to show me what it is, and maybe we can start looking for... I, I have some ideas of where you can buy cheap scrap. Uh, uh, actually, I know a place where you can buy cheap scrap plastic. I want to talk to you about that. Oh, well, that's interesting. I want to talk to you about the metal things, though, because another thing I want to do is in my landscaping at the house, I want to possibly put steel, like mm, half-inch steel or three-eighths-inch steel into the ground as a barrier, kind of like they do at the library. Yeah. Um, Or at libraries or in landscaping or whatever. Yeah. And... um, create kind of steel artwork but i don't have a welder so i'd have to oh and by the way i have a welder i do need to borrow your torch so yeah okay oh the weed burner torch at some point scott and i used it the other night and um, for the for the smoker yeah to to burn the lid so i was actually lighting the torch i was inside of my shed and it was dark outside and i was just trying to get it adjusted it was the first time i was going to use it and scott walks through the door and he's like (laughs) (laughs) but it's like i wasn't burning it but it was funny uh ptsd for him huh yeah All right. Well, we've gone. I kind of thought we would have a hard time feeling an hour today. I thought we said it was going to be like a short show. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the total random show about nothing in particular. But uh, we're already over an hour, so I think we should wrap this up. Do you got any final thoughts? Mm, Aside from smelly toots, I can't think of anything. Nice. And uh, for me, I'll just say stay classy, Salt Lake. And uh, until next time, hopefully Scott will be back with us and uh, check us out on the social media platforms. And yeah, have a good one. Thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. You can find more episodes, show notes, and links at our website at www.regularguysrandomthings.com. You can also find us on all the social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Once again, thanks for listening, and catch us next week for a brand new episode.